Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today, we're joined by a young IT specialist by the name of Dan Slusherchuk, who's based in Oklahoma and has a very interesting background and grip on the world of technology. Greetings, Dan. Good to see you. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. you got to help me a little bit. As maybe some people know, I took a minor in computer science in the 1960s, which means I'm a dinosaur. Um, and technology has changed so much. How did you get into what you do and what is it you do and why do you do it? There's a big opening for you. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, honestly, I got into technology later in life. I came back from a deployment. I was a medic, combat medic. And I knew that wasn't going to be the path moving forward. So I uh, looked around and found uh, my father-in-law was messing around with computers. Back in the day, it was white box, white labeling computers. And uh, me and him would mess around and build these workstations for his company. Um, That kind of started the idea. And then I got a job with a consulting firm. And realized that uh, it's a pretty good business, IT. And it was uh, after that I started a few other companies. But uh, ultimately uh, started Standards IT in 2012 after another deployment. <laughs> and uh, once uh, once I kicked that off, my partner Ryan Tisran joined me in 2014. And we've been doing pretty good ever since, at least in that, in that respect. Um, and I would say <clears throat> the why that I do technology is honestly, I like being at the table and talking strategy and figuring out how to, how to improve business processes, how to, how to automate things. I'm more of a business-minded uh, individual, I think, maybe because I got into tech later in life, not necessarily in like the traditional way through gaming or, or something like that. But uh, so... I really enjoy the the business aspect of uh, what technology does, how it can be a game changer in the business. And I like being a part of those conversations. They're very interesting to me. They are fascinating, aren't they? Because you're really at the front of things. It, it's you're, you're charting fresh ground. Not very always fresh. clear that you're yes. charting the right ground either, is it? You know, uh, leadership, I think is kind of like taking it on the chin until you get it right. I think technology is quite similar. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The um, the first computer class I had, we wired unit record equipment, just if you can imagine that. And then we evolved through, you know, IBM was the, the king of the castle. It used to be IBM and the seven dwarfs. And IBM essentially is not really involved in computers anymore. It um, it's strange. Yeah, we went from IBM being the first company to create a laptop, a mini computer, a whatever you want to call it. It was in a selectric box with a package of cigarettes size of brain. They sold it to China. Lenovo now has all of their small computers. Mm-hmm. 
They um, they always and and you and I talked about this a little bit. They always seem to be ahead of the game, but they could never keep up with their thinking. They yeah. were the leaders in many ways, and then they just the market was taken by other people. Is that continuing? Mm-hmm. Do you think? Yeah, and I <clears throat> that's somewhat, in my opinion, a size. An ability to be disrupted, pay attention to disrupting elements in your own market space and pivot. Uh, I mean, the title of uh, one of the books I read about IBM kind of forecasting the cloud was called Who Said Elephants Can't Dance? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's pretty relevant. I mean, if you look at IBM, a bit of an elephant, right? And it turns out that Microsoft and Amazon and Google were a little bit more nimble when it came to adopting those cloud methodologies and and uh, things that IBM had been talking about for a while. So that was interesting that they got uh, somewhat overtaken in that arena. I haven't seen the latest market share numbers. I know IBM's still big in certain circles, but uh, I mean. The Department of Defense is is moving a lot of stuff to Azure, and they're adopting a lot of the 365 environment. That, to me, is somewhat of an indicator of who's a market leader, not necessarily Gartner's magic quadrant, but who is, uh, who's got enough of the technology to make it happen. So, yeah, I'm, I was, I was kind of surprised that IBM got surpassed in that something that they kind of forecasted themselves. It's it to me as well. It's interesting in that that's kind of how the dealer <clears throat> uh, IT data processing world has evolved as well. You started with the big dealers that have their own computers, then their staff, and then they were never able to keep up with what the companies wanted, so they outsourced, and so Caterpillar created a thing called. Um, DBS and and it then evolved on the internet to DBSI and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and they finally walked away from it, kind of like what IBM did with the laptop. You get dealerships that have staff in the IT world, they get locked into bureaucracy, don't they? They're not very nimble and technology is changing so damn fast. That's a trap. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what's something that you're able to address with how you respond to dealers. Who who are your clientele these days? Who are your customers? Yeah, we do some work for um, a little bit of government work, uh, mainly um, some of the Oklahoma tribes. We do a lot in healthcare, a um, little bit in the financial sector. Um, I think one of the uh, things that provides a lot of value is as, as a consulting firm, we get to see all those different uh, industries and we get to get focused on those industries, but, but then bring some of that information uh, to a dealership uh, is, is unique. Uh, I mean, everybody needs to be able to do accounting and everybody needs to be able to do certain business functions. So automation and technology uh, makes a lot of that easier, but 
some industries are leading other industries and it's nice to bring those successes to maybe an industry like like dealerships that might might not be adopting uh, or adapting as quickly and and through technology we can drive some of that um, because everybody respects value and the bottom line and if we can affect that through technology it gets noticed and uh, gets a lot of excitement gets people brings people over um, and it changes the culture really it's a, it's a it's always a culture question when we start messing with companies data how it's captured how it's consumed what does your executive dashboard look like versus somebody else's executive dashboard and is it moving the needle uh, where you think where you think it should be moved are you hitting your growth numbers that you think you should have do you own as much market share as you think is appropriate um, what's in your way how do how do you take all of that I guess internal knowledge of 20, 30, 40 years of experience and mitigate that with data and then do it with technology. Those are, those are tough questions. I think firms like ours can help bring up thought-provoking questions to figure those out and then to address those challenges. Um, because, you know, as you get larger, it's harder to, it's harder to adjust and so sometimes it, help, it helps to have that second look or maybe some folks that have visibility into a lot of different industries take a look and then, and then provide some insight and, uh, and help you get it over the goal line. Yeah, it's a, it, it, that's a really important point. Being able to span different companies, different businesses, different industries is a huge advantage. You see things in one place that another place had never even dreamt about. And and you can bring them together. It's it's uh, it's it's kind of remarkable. One of the things that I see a lot is, and in the people that we deal with, is what we call paper to glass. A lot of the systems that we've got in place just transformed, transferred a piece of paper to a, a screen, so paper to glass, and instead of writing it, they type mm-hmm. it. So process improvement has got to be yeah. something that is is a big part of what you do. Am I right in that? Absolutely. Um, it's huge. You, you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of visibility when you try to take something that maybe notoriously was uh being able to be accomplished several ways. Let's say um, there wasn't a formalized process. Once you take that and you put it into software, it's usually pretty rigid. Um, But what that will yield is something that's, you can articulate, something you can measure, something you can repeat, and something you can forecast. So I think it is valuable to take that business process and try to automate it if you can uh, for those other benefits. Uh, just just the ability not to have to enter data in twice can be super valuable. It reduces the amount of data entry errors. It reduces the amount of time it takes to do something. 
the same is on the reverse, educating folks on what's available. You might come up with the best report in the world, but if people don't know it exists or how to read it, it might be meaningless to them. Uh, so that's, a, that's another part of what we can help with or what we try to help with is talking about what data means. Starting with, let's say, a data dictionary. We see this a lot in healthcare. A case or an encounter or an event. Uh, a lot of people have different names for when you go visit a healthcare facility. And insurance companies have different names for it. <laughs> Providers have different names for it. Um, I, one of the things that's very interesting to me is the vast difference in physicians that do the same procedure, but have different costs. So somebody may like two by two gauze, somebody else might like four by four gauze. They're doing the same procedure. <laughs> is, there, is there an opportunity to uh, have a kit for that procedure? That anyways, there's, there's a lot uh, related to data process improvement. And then once you start capturing that information, trying to figure out what's valuable, because there is a lot of data to look at. So this is where I think data science comes into play, different algorithms, different ways to bring in industry, industry expertise uh, to help make sense of the data so it's meaningful. And so that way it moves whatever needle you're trying to move. You want better patient outcomes. You want less staff infection. You want more patients walking through the door. You want more referrals. Do you want to sell more cranes? Do you want more repeat crane customers? What exactly is it that you're trying to do? And how do we get that information that supports that? And how is it going to affect all the people that are in the chain that need to move that needle not just the person at the top reading the report or looking at the dashboard, but how are we going to affect the future? What do we need to do tomorrow? How is this data going to affect what we do tomorrow to change that report at the end of the day? One of the interesting things, I, I call it data. I think we're drowning in data and we don't have much information. The um, Your healthcare illustration is perfect. MD Anderson in Houston is building a database that has every surgery that's been performed in America, all of the diagnostic work with it, what the medications were, what chemo was, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and they're trying to be able to be better diagnosticians and surgeons and healthcare providers to have a positive impact on our, our medicine, our patients, our life, et cetera. And in the equipment world, Metz Kramer up in Canada, somebody who writes with us and, and we do podcasts with, we've been doing podcasts on the digital dealership. Mm -hmm. we, we have data. Customer bought a machine in 2002. It's got 17,000 hours on it. It's starting to cost him $750 a month. Uh, wait a second. Somebody should go out there and visit with them. We've got all that information. Mm -hmm. but we don't deliver that answer to somebody who can go talk to the customer. And it, mm -hmm. it, it gets a little frustrating. We have oodles and oodles of data. 
but we're so busy working in the business, we very rarely think about how to work on the business. I think I think that's something that your team can be very helpful with the dealers on. Is it is that kind of in in our industry with the construction equipment, automotive on highway? Is that something that you share? Is that the way you look at it as well? Yes, and I think an interesting uh, benefit from a firm like mine is that we are not in the sales department. We're not in the procurement department. We're not in the rentals department. We typically will look at these challenges holistically and cross departments. We thankfully don't have the political barriers that some other organizations have. And that's where the culture comes into play you have to you have to respect the culture how the company has achieved what it has achieved thus far and then determine what part of that is worth changing to help it grow and because there's some things that should stay and are good tenants of a good organization but some things decision making in a silo is something that needs to be addressed if technology is going to provide a large impact on what you're doing. And that's because in the case of let's we're going to buy a piece of equipment, that information could very well be valuable to a lot of different departments over the life cycle of that machine. It could let you know uh, from an accounting standpoint, how much did you pay for it during these market conditions? It could tell you stuff related to if you were ever going to rent that machine out or sell that machine after it's been rented or buy that machine back or service that machine or buy parts for that customer for that machine. The information that's captured could be very valuable to a lot of different departments if you're able to cross the departmental divide. And a lot of times that is just an ego <laughs> or yeah. this is my arena. I've got it. I don't need technology to break down those barriers. You could be missing opportunities. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Dan. It, it's, it's a, it's a good um, description of the dilemmas we have. Culture is so critical and technology is very personal the employees are the ones that are the users of the tools we give them. And very rarely does anybody ask them what they would want. They're the ones that know the job better than anybody else, yet we don't embrace them or, or involve them in change. Where a, a company like yours coming in from outside is innocent. It's clean. Um, it's agnostic. You, you don't have biases. You don't have histories. You don't have politics. Um, and it, there's a, I think there's a huge place for that going forward in all industries. Technology is changing so quickly, whether it's telecommunications or devices or artificial intelligence. There's a cloud. There's so many different things going on. It is almost impossible for an employee in a dealership to stay current with that stuff. They're too busy looking after today's work to have time to look after tomorrow. Is that a, is that your view as well? 
Yeah. Another interesting thing that happens being a consultant, we, a lot of times we'll do assessments and we, during assessments, we'll do a lot of interviews because like you said, a lot of the value resides in the employee's knowledge. And we will do a lot of interviews because that is super valuable when we do assessments to understand where the business is at, how it accomplishes its mission currently, and where we think there might be opportunities. Most of the time, we get everything we need from the employee's own perspectives and comments. It's just because we, as that outside entity, are presenting it in a more formalized process and with no... uh, seemingly no stake in the company game, we're received in a different light. That information that somebody may have been saying for years is now gold just because I regurgitated it in the right meeting (laughs) to the right people. So yeah, definitely an interesting scenario related to consulting is most of the information we find related to your current state is within within the organization um so so there's a lot of untapped treasure that that resides in the lower ranks and uh we value that tremendously um but that is an interesting interesting scenario and that's mainly more of a cultural thing i think but uh but also uh it could be a personality thing or a or, or something. To, oh, it could just be a personnel issue, so to speak. Yeah, it's really funny. I left the working at dealerships and companies <clears throat> in 1980. And exactly what you say is valid. The last 40 odd years, um, somehow the employees would look at me and say, look, I'm telling you all of the things that we need to do. They don't listen to me. They will listen to you. Because mm-hmm. supposedly I haven't got an axe to grind. I, I stopped staying in and working in the dealership mode because my job had become politics and babysitting. And I don't like and I'm not good at either. So it was kind of kind of weird. I think that gives us a nice little example or idea of what you do, how you do it, and, and how you fit and, and where the needs are. Is there anything you want to add to kind of wrap up this particular session? Yeah, the final thing I'll add is the life cycle. I think it's important to think about a technology life cycle. We've merged analytics and infrastructure together because of the life cycle and because of the way people look at it. Infrastructure, let's say you have a server, you've got wireless, you've got a phone system, you've got computers. They are a cost. You got to buy them, you got to put them out, you got to maintain those and you got to replace them when they are obsolete. So that's typically looked at as a straight cost, cost of doing business. And so we've merged analytics, the fancy grow the organization, become more efficient money-making technology with the cost technology because they have to kind of work together. So As a consulting firm, we put those two together. Organizations don't typically put those two things together, but we have done it in an effort to validate when it's expensive, 
offset the costs and and make sure that just because you're killing it in analytics and growing your organization doesn't mean everything else around you isn't crumbling. Don't ever want to forget about the foundation, the stuff that is not super interesting, the stuff that has to happen in order to have a good technology. It has to sit on a functioning, up-to-date, secure server. (laughs) has to be delivered to those mobile devices securely but none of that gets any positive attention because it's very expensive and you're hedging your bet against risks that you don't understand. So we've put the two together to make it more palatable. So just from a life cycle standpoint, you can't ever get to fancy dashboards and applications uh, unless you understand the foundation it needs to run on and the risks associated with that. Yeah, you can't have fancy plays without good blocking and tackling. I think that's a right. wonderful summary, Dan, and, and thank you very much for, for giving us this podcast. And thank you, the audience, for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion and I look forward to seeing you again in a future podcast with Dan and with others. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.